So John 1, verse 43 is what we're looking at today. We're going to go all the way through to the end of the chapter. John 1, 43 says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Now Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So <clears throat> this passage recounts uh, another day in John's narrative as he looks at the life of Jesus. That We began back in verse 19 really with uh, John the Baptist uh, pointing to the Messiah, the, the coming Christ. And here uh, we see Jesus starting to call his own disciples. And he's calling people to follow him. And in this particular story, Jesus encounters a man named Nathaniel. And this encounter will reveal to Nathaniel, and really to all of us who are looking at this passage 2,000 years later, something remarkable about who Jesus really is, what it actually means for the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, to come into this world and to be with us. Um, so verse 43, right at the beginning, tells us that Jesus decided to go to Galilee. So he's on the move, and there he finds a man named Philip. And he tells Philip straight up, follow me. And it's clear Philip obeys because he immediately goes to this other man, Nathaniel, and he gets him. <clears throat> and it, he says in verse 45, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And he's obviously referring to the Messiah, the Christ. These gentlemen know their Bibles. That's why he's appealing to these passages here in, in uh, the law and in the prophets. Philip's saying, listen, we found the, ones, the one that the scriptures have been telling us about for hundreds and hundreds of years. The one, ones that, the one that scripture told us would come and this man is Jesus of Nazareth. This man is the son of Joseph. Philip is saying, he is the Christ. But Nathaniel's response here is, is very intriguing. He says in verse 46, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's obviously a, a harsh statement. It's a, it's a statement uh, that is filled to the brim with, spec, with uh, skepticism. But Historically, this is really an accurate assessment of how Nazareth was viewed by the general public. It did not enjoy 
a great reputation. And so Nathaniel is very skeptical that anything good could come from Nazareth, no less the Christ. And so Philip's response to this skepticism is amazing. Philip says, come and see. It's the same kind of language that Jesus used uh, last week. Come and see. In other words, don't take my word for it. You need to come and check this man out for yourself. This is an invitation to meet Jesus. And it's worth pausing right here in this narrative as we sort of go through this story and just saying, hey, listen, this is what Christianity is. Christianity is about coming and seeing Jesus for who he really is. Christianity is, is not a blind faith. It's not about closing your eyes. It is about reality. It is taste and see that the Lord is good, that Jesus Christ is really this awesome and this glorious, as awesome and glorious as the scriptures claim him to be. This is not a call to close our eyes. Christianity is not that at all. Christianity is a call to open our eyes wide and see Jesus for who he is. And so Nathaniel goes, and it says, Jesus sees him approaching, and in verse 47 says, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. <laughs> and so Jesus is seeing Nathaniel, and he, he makes a statement about Nathaniel as he approaches. He's saying Nathaniel is a man who does not play games with the truth. And this is probably one of the reasons why he was so skeptical about Nazareth. He's not going to, to mince words. He's not going to soft pedal anything. He takes scripture, he takes truth seriously. And given that fact, his response to Jesus's statement about him uh, is not surprising. He asks, how do you know me? <laughs> how do you know who I am? We haven't even met yet till this moment. And so how could Jesus have known anything about Nathaniel? And Jesus's answer is stunning. He tells him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you. And Nathaniel hears this, and he is amazed. And his response is to immediately believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The answer that Jesus gives him is enough to completely terminate <laughs> any skepticism he had about Jesus. And while we don't know what Nathaniel was doing, what he was thinking, what, he was, what was going on underneath the fig tree, whatever it was... Jesus' response to Nathanael is enough to elicit a statement of affirmation from Nathanael. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He moves from completely rejecting Jesus to completely embracing him as the, the one that was promised as the Messiah. And this is a big deal. But what's interesting about Jesus' statement to Nathanael <clears throat> that leads to him believing is that it wasn't just a generic fact. He didn't just say something to him that was general. He tells him, I saw you. I saw you. This wasn't some kind of empirical evidence that he provided, something that he could have known about Nathanael as the Messiah that nobody else would have known, just a random fact 
This was a statement directly targeted to Nathaniel. It is an intimate and personal statement. I saw you. I saw you. And I think we need to pause again because I think some of us need to hear this today. Some of us need to hear this aspect of this narrative because you may feel like today, whether due to the quarantine, to isolation, to what's going on in the world, to what's going on in your own lives, you may feel like Jesus doesn't see you or like he can't see what you're going through right now. And Jesus is telling you, listen to me, in this passage, Jesus is telling you, I do see you. I see you and I know what you're going through. He is not ignorant to anything in your life. Every pain, every struggle, every sin, every secret, he sees us in those things. And the amazing thing about Jesus is that he doesn't reject us. He doesn't get tired of us, even in the middle of our doubts. He sees us and he loves us. And Nathaniel recognized something of that truth in this brief moment. And he responds with a confession that Jesus is both the Son of God and the King of Israel, which are these two titles in Scripture that are obviously linked to the Messiah, the Christ. And what's interesting about both these titles is that they're connected to one of God's promises to King David. Remember King David from the Old Testament, God had promised him in 2 Samuel that he would raise up one of his offspring who would hold his throne forever. And we see this in 2 Samuel 7, 12. Let me read this to you. This is God making a covenant, a promise with David. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So, Nathaniel is looking at Jesus of Nazareth after what he's just told him, and he says, you're this man. You're the man that, that was spoken of in 2 Samuel. You're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus is the one who God would call his own son, and Jesus is the Messiah that would come from the line of the king David. <laughs> and that's what Nathaniel sees in this encounter with Jesus. But here's the problem. Because Jesus isn't done talking yet. We know this isn't a full picture. There's more to be seen here. There is something else that Jesus sees fit to communicate to Nathaniel in this moment that he does not currently see. And it requires Jesus to say something else. So he continues. This is what Jesus says after Nathaniel's already confessed that he believes that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And then he tells him one of those greater things. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
and then the conversation just ends. The author, John, provides us with no other details about what Jesus is saying here, what he means by this. And so we are, as students of the the Bible, we are called to lean into this text and figure out what does he mean? Why this specific thing? And at one level, I think it's pretty easy. It's pretty straightforward that Jesus is basically saying to Nathaniel, Listen, if you were convinced that I am the Davidic king to come, the the Messiah, the Christ, because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, what will it mean when you see things that are 10,000 times more spectacular than that? What happened under the fig tree compared to those things is nothing. It is nothing compared to what you will see the next few years as you walk with me. That's one level, but even deeper than that, we we also need to recognize that Jesus doesn't grab one of these events from the future, um, like a healing, like raising somebody from the dead or, or healing blindness or someone who's paralyzed. He doesn't grab one of those events and hold it out to Nathaniel right here. Both of those come up in the book of John, and both of those, and any of those can be considered great, greater things. They can be considered things that that would be greater than what he just did with Nathaniel. But instead, Jesus paints the, a picture of an event that actually never appears in the book of John. It is a, a stunning scene that is strange in many ways. And for those who know their Bibles, like Nathaniel and Philip clearly do based on what we saw earlier, this strange, stunning scene would be familiar as well. Because Jesus, in describing what Nathanael will see, is drawing upon two specific events from the Old Testament. He, in this picture, Jesus is, is taking these two events and he's weaving two prophetic passages together in order to paint a far greater picture of who the Messiah is than Nathanael could have ever possibly imagined or conceived on his own. Jesus is <clears throat> taking these two historic events where God revealed things to his people in the scriptures and he's folding them together in the service of showing that they were ultimately talking about Jesus Christ. They were ultimately talking about him. The first one we already saw on Easter a few weeks back, you may remember this one, this vision in Daniel 7 where uh, there's a person, there's a man who is called the Son of Man And he is a human being who is exalted to the right hand of God and given complete authority over all things. Listen to Daniel 7, verse 13. It starts with verse 13. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that's God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So this is Daniel's vision of the Son of Man and we can see some elements. You may have even been able to spot them. Some elements uh, of what Jesus is showing Nathaniel that are pulled, drawn from this vision. For one is the title of Son of Man. 
Son of man means uh, <laughs> that the Messiah to come is going to be human. He's going to be a human being. And this picture here of authority points to other scripture passages in the New Testament, which refer to a day where he will return with his angels and with the clouds of heaven, holding in himself complete and total authority as king, not just over Israel, not just over the Hebrew people, but over the entire cosmos. Jesus is telling Nathaniel in this scene, I'm this man. I'm the man that Daniel spoke about. And so part of what Jesus is saying here is that the Messiah isn't just the king of Israel. You, you need to <laughs> expand your horizon. The Messiah is not just the king of the Jews. He is the king of all the galaxies in the universe. He is the king of everything. And one day, the heavens will be opened and the Son of Man will be revealed. Not just as a king over a worldly kingdom, but the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, who will have the highest and greatest title that has ever existed given to him by God himself. That's part of what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel. But there's another element that's even deeper than that, and that's this picture of these angels that are ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What in the world does Jesus mean by that. Well, you may recall, if you, if you went to Sunday school growing up and are familiar with flannel graphs, you may recall a, uh, one of the most excellent flannel graphs was this specific event from the Old Testament. Jacob, the patriarch of the book of Genesis, uh, is running from home. He, he has just uh, betrayed his brother Esau. He's, he's cheated his, his brother out of both his birthright and his blessing. And his brother is obviously not thrilled about it. In fact, his brother is waiting for an opportunity to kill him. And so Jacob is on the run. He's running from home. And in Genesis 28, we have this strange event that happens to him as he falls asleep. Verse 10 of Genesis 28 says, Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. <clears throat> and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I, what I have promised you. And then it says, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. 
This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So prior to this event, Jacob is, like we said, running from home, and he's doing that because he cheated his own brother out of his blessing and his birthright. He lied. He took what wasn't his. And yet it says here that he gets this dream from God. (laughs) So God doesn't just let him run. It's important to notice here. God doesn't just let him run. God sees him and intervenes. He sees Jacob just like Jesus saw Nathanael. And he intervenes. And so Jacob receives this remarkable and strange dream. It says that he sees a ladder that reaches to heaven. This word ladder in the Hebrew could be stairs. It it basically means that there's a stepping stones or steps that ascend upward. They ascend and go to something. And these steps are specifically connecting heaven to earth. Jacob sees these angels that are ascending and descending on these steps. They are going back and forth between heaven and earth. And then it says, Jacob sees the Lord. He sees God himself. And when we see Lord or God in all caps in the Old Testament, we know that it's referring not to the word Lord or the word God, but to the personal name of God, which is the Hebrew Yahweh. And in verse 13, God says to Jacob, I am Yahweh the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham and I'm the God of Isaac. And so this is the one who gives Jacob this dream. And then stunningly, despite everything Jacob has done to disqualify himself in this story, Yahweh begins to make promises to him. These aren't new promises. These are promises that Yahweh had already made to his father and his grandfather. Um, And They're being passed down now to Jacob. One is that the land that he's on, the land that he's sleeping on right now, will belong to him and his offspring. He's going to be brought back there. It's his land. Another is that his offspring will be multiplied all over the earth. And then he promises that all the families in the world, every family in the world, will be blessed through Jacob and his offspring. And this is a stunning act of grace. Jacob does not deserve any of this. Let's be clear about that. And yet God, in his great mercy, lavishes these promises on Jacob and then seals them in a remarkable way. Listen to what God says in verse 15. He says, Behold, I'm with you, and I will keep you wherever you Go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So this is a guarantee from God to Jacob that he would fulfill every single promise. All of these promises will be fulfilled. He says, I will not leave you. I'm with you. I'm going to keep you through all of this. No matter where you are, no matter where you go, I will bring you back to this land. And all of these promises will come true. And then Jacob wakes up and he is stunned. He is stunned. In verse 17 says he's afraid. 
And he says, surely Yahweh is in this place. And he calls this place the house of God and the gate of heaven. And so what exactly is going on in this dream? That's the question that I think we should ask when we get to a text like this. Like, what, 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 what's being communicated here? What are, what are the steps? Like, what's the whole purpose of that? What's the purpose of the angels? What is God trying to tell Jacob in this moment? And why is it that Jesus is using this imagery in his conversation with Nathaniel? Well, the point of this dream and the point of the steps and the point of the angels are to show Jacob that God, Yahweh, is totally committed to fulfilling every single promise he's made to his family. Every promise. The point is that God is with Jacob and he will marshal the very hosts of heaven in order to bring these promises to fruition. There will not be a promise God has made Jacob that will fail. None of them will fail. And this picture of the angels ascending and descending between heaven and earth is a picture of God's activity in the world to make good on every single thing he said to Jacob in this dream. Which is why Jacob refers to this location as the house of God, as the gate of heaven. This is where God showed Jacob that he will infiltrate this world for the purposes of making good on his covenant. <clears throat> and so, what does this have to do with Jesus then? Like, what, why, why did Jesus bring this up in his conversation with Nathaniel in John 1? Why does he use this imagery to depict something he says Nathaniel will see, a greater thing? Here's Jesus again. Listen to what he says here. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see Nathaniel and risen hope, Heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Same imagery, same visuals as this scene from Genesis 28. But this time, it isn't on a ladder or stairs that the angels are ascending and descending. They are ascending and descending on the Son of Man, on Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus is telling Nathaniel, who knows his Old Testament very well, that the house of God, the gate of heaven, is not ultimately a place. It is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. See, Nathaniel knew that the Messiah would be the king of Israel. Nathaniel knew that the Messiah would be called the son of God. But Jesus is saying that way more than that, Jesus is saying that I am God. The Son of Man isn't just an exalted human being. The Son of Man is Yahweh clothed in the flesh. God has literally come down as he did in that dream in Jesus and he is with his people, which is really what the author John already told us back in verse 14. Remember in the prologue of this book when he said, in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled, pitched his tent among us, and we have seen his glory. Jesus of Nazareth is God in the flesh. And the greater things that Nathaniel will see is that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of Jacob's dream all the way back 
from Genesis 28. Jesus is the physical embodiment of that reality. He is both the house of God and he is the gate of heaven. He is the very presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ and he is the gate through which we can be with God in heaven forever. This is who Jesus is. That's what he's saying to Nathaniel. And just like with Jacob's dream, Jesus is also the guarantee that he will never leave us. That every single promise he has made for his people, which you are included too in that promise, every single promise he has made to his people will be accomplished and fulfilled. In saying that, what he says to Nathaniel, Jesus is showing God's unwavering commitment to keep every one of his promises. There will not be a single promise God has made to his people, to you, that will fall to the ground. All of them will be kept. And Jesus is telling us, and telling Nathaniel in this moment, and really all of us, that we belong to him. Like he, He's saying, you need to know, you need to know that I not only see you where you are right now, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, I not only see you, but I am also with you. You belong to me. And I have given myself completely to keeping you no matter what happens. No matter where you go, I will fulfill every promise I have made to you. Just like he said to Jacob. Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, and Jesus is saying to us. Not only will he be with us, through every single thing we go through in our lives. But he will use those things, whether good or bad, for our ultimate good and for his glory. And one day, one day, he will come with the clouds of heaven, surrounded by the angels of God, and he will take us to himself so that we can be with him forever. And the way that we need to recognize that Jesus displays this this unyielding commitment, this faithfulness to us most clearly is in how he gives up his own life for us. Jacob from Genesis 28, Nathaniel from John 1, and us right now, here and now, none of us deserve any of God's promised blessings. We cannot earn them. We, they are not ours by right. They needed to be purchased. They needed to be secured. They needed to be paid for by the precious blood of Jesus, which is why God infiltrated our world. It's why God clothed himself in flesh and went to the cross to fully pay for our right to be recipients of these lavish blessings that we read about throughout his word. And so if your faith is in Christ Jesus, I would invite you during this next song to do what we normally do at Risen Hope, which is to participate in communion in your own home, your apartment, wherever you are right now, with whoever you are with or on your own, participate in the Lord's Supper. If your faith is in him, this is your right. And we do that by receiving the elements, the cup and the blood, or the cup and the, and the bread. And so as you do, reflect on God's promise to you individually. Reflect on the fact that he is saying to you, 
in this passage, he will not leave you. And the cross has removed every single barrier between his promises and your life. There are no more barriers. You belong to him. And in Christ Jesus, the God of the universe has given himself completely to guaranteeing you that you will be his forever and that you will never lack anything that you need to know him and love him in this world. And if you ever find yourself doubting that, if you ever find yourself doubting his commitment to you, I humbly suggest that you turn and you look to the cross where he paid with his own life for this to be true. Let's pray. God, it is good to be with your people on Sunday morning. It is good to worship with them. And it's good to come to your word with hearts that are hungry to see you, to see the beauty of your son, and to know you with the kind of intimacy and affection that you deserve. So I pray that you would grant that to us in these moments as we partake in communion and as we worship with with each other, Father God, in the spirit that you would come and that the realities of you infiltrating the world in the person of your son to prove that you are here with us, to show us that you have um, a purpose in our lives for your glory and for our joy. Father, I pray that that would become real for each of us, that it would become sweet to us and that we would be caught up in your glory and your worth and your beauty and that our passion would be to show this magnificent Christ to the world that we would do what these disciples will go on, Nathaniel and Philip and Andrew and Peter and John will go on to do. We will tell of your goodness. Not a single promise will fall. Everyone will be ours in Christ Jesus. Help us believe that today and live lives that accord with that reality. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.